everybody. Welcome back to the Unafraid Podcast. It's so good to be with you again. This is Jay. Of course, you know me pretty well by now. We are in the 40s as far as episodes go, and it's it just gets more and more fun. I've, I've gotten to talk to some pretty cool people, some really amazing people, um, and I'm so grateful for that. I want to give a big shout out to the show's sponsor, Rebecca Jonesy, uh, who heard the first couple episodes of the show and, and messaged me and said, hey, you know, I, I really want to sponsor the show to make sure you keep doing it, um, which was great for me because while it's not super expensive to run a podcast, it does require a little bit of dedication. And having a sponsor on board meant that uh, <laughs> I wasn't just going to sit on my butt and not do it. So uh, it's really been good for me working with Rebecca. So uh, thank you so much, Rebecca. And Rebecca writes wonderful fiction. She writes fantasy, uh, adventure, and erotica, and just a lot of really cool stuff. And she runs a publishing company. So uh, Rebecca kind of does it all. Um, let's see, any big stuff going on? Well, you know, I do have some fun and exciting news. It's not fully unveiled yet, but my wife and I uh, bought an embroidery machine because we want to kind of open and run a just like a little Etsy shop where we're making cute little stuff and uh, maybe some sarcastic stuff. We love a love a good amount of snark, but so stay tuned for more info on that. Um, if if I don't bash my head in trying to figure the machine out, then we might actually make some really fun stuff. Um, I think that's it for personal stuff for me, but we have a great guest today. Juan Blade, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Good, I'm good. good. Uh, you're coming to us from, are you in chi- Chicago or where Where are you? Yeah, I'm in Chicago. Okay. What part of town are you in? Uh, I live over in Humboldt right now. I'm actually packing up. I'm about to move over to just a different side of town for a little while until... I find another place. Okay, that's that's cool. Well, what do yeah. you do? What do you do out there in, in Chicago? So um, I do a few things. Um, I came to Chicago originally for grad school. Um, it was my kind of ticket of getting out of the South. Much love to the South, though. But like, I definitely wanted to come to a larger city. Um, I teach now. Uh, I am a uh, lecturer at uh, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, I should be in the fall also teaching art um, classes at uh, the University of Illinois of of Chicago, UIC. Um, I do that. I'm also a sex worker. So um, I'm very uh, transparent about that. Um, So... I kind of work in these multiple different kind of ways. I'm also a working artist. I work in show and galleries, film festivals. Um, although I haven't done a film festival in a while. Um, mostly I've been doing a lot of performance work myself. But of course, during the pandemic, not so much. A little bit. Well, what type, um, of, what type yeah. of performance work do you do? So for performance work, um, I... Focus in on using a lot of different new media mechanisms. Um, I usually, you know, I do perform for the camera a lot. I do take, kind of take it into account the medium itself. Um, I use a lot of game development software lately, and I've actually been developing a virtual reality um, pieces. So a lot of my work kind of centers around um, uh, how persona and media kind of gets kind of um, transmitted and consumed through digital virtual spaces. Um, most specifically, actually, I look at a lot about um, kind of the realities of objectification and fetishization of uh, mostly trans women, trans women, but in terms of a lot of, you know, that area and using my own experience through sex work, I kind of look at like interesting ways to find intimacy among people under the kind of shadow of neoliberal consumer culture. So um, so a lot of my performances involve uh, 3D printed objects that I take from 3D scans of my own body that I've been archiving for the last three and a half years, I think. Before, actually it was before my tr- I started transitioning. So I have this like really beautiful high definition scans of all my body of different points in my last uh, three years of my medical transition, um, which is always really interesting. Um, 
So uh, like this last performance, yeah, I, I, I created these wearables that were 3D printed from my own body. And I performed this kind of ritualized action of reconnecting back to my old quote unquote boy body um, because I had a scan of him. And I, you know, growing up, I, through repression and everything like that, I didn't really know how to understand myself. So, um, you know, this is very common, but, you know, looking at a lot of uh, pornography because that was like my only window to trans femme, trans women bodies. Um, because I just didn't know any better. And, you know, growing up in the South, in the middle of nowhere, you know. So, of course, now looking back, I was like, oh, I realized that I wanted to become that. That was that was the attraction. The, the well, Not just that, but that was like, that was the main attraction. So I always thought it'd be interesting to kind of resurrect my old boy body. So I 3D printed my entire body, one-to-one -one scale, um, or his body, really, because he honestly feels like a completely different person. Like a shed, it shedded husk. <laughs> um, so I brought him back and then I performed these kind of intimate relationships with him. So, because he always wanted to hook up with a trans woman. So here I am. Little did he know it'd be me. Um, <laughs> there, yeah. There is there is so much to unpack in, in what you just said. And, and you like crammed it chock full of information in like the last three minutes. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start. Um, first of all, our, our teachers are amazing. They're, they're absolutely, um, absolutely the, the best, um, in UIC. So are you, are you teaching a college, is that college level then, or what is that? Yeah. So the School of the Art Institute is a private art school in UIC, of course, you know, it's a, it's a state school, um, a university. Um, so yes, it's college level. So, um, so right now I'm teaching a virtual reality class at SAIC just for the spring. So I'm only teaching one class right now. And um, yeah, so I'm focusing in on how to use virtual reality and game engines to kind of create virtual worlds for art purposes, not so much like commercial video games, you know, but we are using that, that medium, that, that kind of pipeline of work to create art pieces. Um, so at UIC, I haven't actually started the classes yet, but I'm actually doing a developing a digital bodies class, um, which, uh, which is basically how to create 3D digital avatars that you can kind of puppeteer through body tracking um, or animation um, through motion capture techniques to kind of create performance pieces um, around that. Um, so those are the things I do. <laughs> so, so I do a, you're a you're not making you're not making polymer clay and uh, rubber stamp stuff like I did in art class. Then this is this is for real <laughs> cutting edge stuff. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I work in very high new media areas and work a lot with art and technology. Um, and again, yes, I you know I'm working with undergrads and, and graduate students, um, which is always funny because it's like. I'm only 31, so it always feels weird to be like leading the leading the show when you have like a few students that are older than you. Um, but uh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious because okay, so this is a little bit of an aside, but I promise it. It there's a point that comes back to you here. Um, my my wife and I um, we were watching a show on uh, Discovery Channel. It was called the uh, Expedition Unknown, and you know, it's this guy who travels the world and, you know, he just explores all sorts of cool stuff. But every once in a while, they use this um, special mapping camera. I don't know if it's infrared or what to make 3D models of stuff. Is that is that similar to what you're doing with your body or how are you making a, a 3D high def model? Yeah. So what you're thinking of is the LiDAR scanner and that uses um, point cloud data um, to map out the surroundings. Um, I don't always use a LiDAR scanner. I use a couple others. Um, because I teach at SEIC, I have access to all the wonderful goodies. And I am able to use some other high-definition scanners. Um, some of the scanners are different. Basically, they're just high-tech cameras that, that blink really, really fast. And um, they capture that data, and they make a 3D form out of it. 
Um, so actually, you know, the wonderful thing right now is that most people can do 3D scanning and use that tech on their phones, um, assuming that you have an iPhone or an Android that is a couple, at least like three or four years old, any older, probably not. Um, so the capabilities have really kind of expanded out for an individual person or even independent companies to really create a lot of really wonderful stuff. Um, so yeah, so I focus a lot on that and that's my teaching area. Um, Yes. <laughs> so I want you to know that because I have a, a notepad that's always next to me here when I'm sitting at the computer because I'm I am a severely uh, ADD and so I have to write little notes when people are talking for me to circle back to and so in big letters right now is search for 3D scanning app <laughs> because <laughs> I need this whatever it is I need this um, yeah, you know, um... <laughs> and when when my wife and I first first got married, and this this was, gosh, it was like fifteen years ago. Um, at the time, I really wanted to do one of these body casts of her, you know, where they do a mold of the the body and then they cast it in bronze or whatever medium it's going to be. Um, mm -hmm. And I never ended up doing it because at the time the the company was you know twenty five hundred dollars and I just couldn't afford it. Um, but so in my head these 3D printings that you're talking about look kind of similar to that. Am I thinking of the right thing? Yeah. So, I mean, well, the 3D printer, um, I mean, it's not the same as a, like casting metal, but um, yeah, so you do a 3D print and then you, uh, or 3D scan, and then you would run it through a uh, 3D printer and it would um, you know, basically print it. <laughs> it's pretty... Um, not much to say there, really. Um, That's amazing. I'm sorry. I know this is this is not uh, fantastic and amazing stuff to you because you you work with it all the time. But to to a normie like me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is brilliant. I'm I'm fascinated by this idea, and that you actually use it in your performance art is just incredible to me. I mean, and I haven't seen your show, but I can. I can picture how you might use that. It's it's what a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um you know medium and material has always been very interesting to me. So you know a lot of the three D printed stuff tends to be printed in a uh, it's a cornstarch semi biodegradable. I don't know what that exactly means, but um, plastic. And so I, you know, for in terms of sculptural materials outside of all the digital and virtual stuff I make, um, I tend to gravitate towards silicons and plastics, um, which kind of for me connects to the dealing of the idea of fakeness that is revolved around um, being a trans woman to a lot of people and also revolved around this, like in terms of medical transitioning around the process that goes in there, this idea of fakeness that kind of permeates around trans bodies a lot, you know, whether they're faking it or, or even if what, like the one, so most cis people don't really, they don't really treat it real until surgery starts to get introduced, which obviously is a problem. Um, but, that tends to be the case but even then once surgery gets introduced then it becomes another form of like idea of fakeness so we're talking about you know implants silicon breasts you know um cheek implants that are made from a silicon you know kind of stuff like that so i've always been really interested in this idea that about kind of death a lot i've been thinking a lot about death a lot and um uh and rebirth mainly because I've been going through my own surgeries lately. Um, and it's interesting to think that if I do get any plastics silicons put into me, which I haven't quite yet, um, they will outlast the rest of my body. So there's this interesting thing of like, my when I die, my body will decompose. But these things that I've introduced into my body to alleviate dysphoria and give me life because it, it really does. It really means a lot to me to be able to exist in a certain form of body that allows me to deal with dysphoria and, and survive in this world, by the way, it's not just about dysphoria. I mean, it's also about survival. 
um, that those parts that gave me life will exceed me, <laughs> past me. So anyways, I, I am very interested in using those kinds of uh, materials in my work. So the 3D printing makes sense to me. Um, yeah. Well, how do you, how do you feel about that idea that, you know, that, you know, these, you know, artificial parts or silicone parts that, that some of us choose to put in our bodies that they last longer than us? You know, what, how do you feel about that? Oh, I mean, I'm going to be dead, so it won't really matter <laughs> at the end of the day. I am all for body modification. I want to see it go further. I am interested. I can't wait to we're at the point of truth. I mean, we already are at the point of cyborgism. I mean, we all are cyborgs. Um, we are. We're not have, like, we don't have, like, circuit boards in our bodies. But we have phones, we always carry our phones with us. That has become an extension of our body, a mechanical extension that we always have. So we are cyborgs already. But I am all for seeing it go even further. I Body modification to the point of transspeciesism, to cyborgisms, to seeing us, you know, genetic modification is always really tricky because I think as a society we need to understand a lot more about ourselves before we can really get into body mo like that kind of genetic modification because i think it can lead if we if we we need to get over biological essentialism and racism and sexism to really dive into that otherwise i would be very concerned where it would lead um basically to forms of eugenics so i'm not so sure how i feel about that one way area yet um i i like i like the idea of modifying the body, but I think societally we have to answer some really big questions about how we treat each other and how we perceive each other before we get there. Well, I think that <laughs> I, I think that a lot of those questions have been answered. It's unfortunately how do we how do we change the answer? Uh, <laughs> stop well, yeah, I mean it's it's very clear that um, there is a lot of problems that need to be addressed. Like we know what, we know they're there. Um, but yeah, we need to figure that out, I guess. So we need to figure that out. I mean, yeah. um, anyway, so yeah, you know, I, um, how do I feel about the rest of my body uh, with that? Um, life's a ride. I am on a ride where you're on a ride. Might as well enjoy it. So if it's enjoyment, if you enjoy it, if it gives you meaning and purpose, and it is something that is productive and positive for you, um, then it would breed positive and productivity to others too, um, in terms of, you know, um, knowing yourself. I don't know. I mean, so for me, you know, it's like, the component of my transition in terms of being a trans woman has always been like um, the surgery part or, or the hormone part, the medical, the medical aspect of it has been such a big part of it for me. You know, I don't, I don't think that's what you have to do to be a trans person. No, not at all. Like, I, I don't think that there is any necessity for medical if you don't desire it. But for me, it's been such a big part of my journey that it's kind of been fused into my identity to some extent. Um, and I don't know. I also just love changing my body. It's, it's just kind of fun. I like, I've always, like, I have tattoos. Like, I like, I'm not like extreme body modification person, but like, I really like, up, I like updating my body. <laughs> no, I, I like get up, it. <laughs> I like upgrading. I, I it, get it completely. I mean, I am... I'm I'm covered with with tattoos and I, you know I remember of course as you're starting to get them you know mom or dad or grandparents or whoever always giving you a hard time about it and you know it's it's something that really brought me a lot of joy something that I enjoy doing I like change and you know and and now looking at all my tattoos they're all just these crazy hyper masculine tattoos that are like come on dude what what were you doing <laughs> and and i and i know exactly what i was thinking i was like something doesn't fit right and i'm gonna make it fit right and this is gonna do it and of course it, it doesn't do it but <laughs> but you know yeah. I, I think the ability to 
to change our bodies is is a beautiful thing and i think that the coming generations are really going to benefit um from that and and like myself you know i'm i'm a trans person but you know and and funny enough i i just told our, our guest uh last week who was was on you know i was i was starting um my my uh, feminizing hormone therapy and I reacted really poorly to it. Unfortunately, I have I have some stuff going on in my head, and it it didn't mesh well with it. So we had to uh, we had to stop for the time being until we can figure out a, a better way to do it uh, because it was be- it was becoming dangerous for me. Um, but I I don't feel like that changes anything about who I am. You know, I I hit a little bit of a, a bump in the road there where I I couldn't start transitioning the way I wanted to, but I also have a much greater knowledge of who I am, and that yes, I I am brave enough to try this, and and I feel good about you know that you know does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and you know, it's first I'll say hormones are a powerful thing, um, and you know it's interesting. I when I, I I mean it's hard to explain. So when I when I started transitioning and my hormone, I mean, first, the first six months, the first year of hormones is just a roller coaster. I mean, it's puberty. It's, it's puberty. So you're just like, your body is readjusting. So things are really rough. But on top, on top of that, you know, I transitioned, I guess I was 28. Yeah. I was about to turn 28, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, so when I came out and I started transitioning medically, which I, I started medically transitioning like a month into coming out in general, like I just went straight to it. Like um, I knew what I wanted and I went and like I went straight there. And but it like also, you know, I just unleashed literally 28 years of repression. And so it was just like on top of the hormones, on top of that, on top of my own like other mental situations. You know, I have a um, I grew up in a very kind of like a pretty intense family structure. Um, It wasn't the, like, yeah. So yeah, my mother had or has or whatever BPD, um, which if you know much about BPD, which is borderline personality disorder, um, they're very emotionally explosive people. um, And they're very paranoid and they're very manipulative because they're afraid of being manipulated. Um, so they kind of like strike first kind of people. Um, and my dad was, uh, physically abusive and all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, there's a lot of trauma there. So yeah. So it's like, it definitely, uh, created some mental PTSD issues for myself. So yeah, when getting on hormones, it like really, it really like opened up the floodgates basically. Cause it was like, there was so much to process. Um, like I've been going to therapy for quite a while now and yeah, still doing the work, still doing the work, but, um, you know, and it's interesting cause it's like, I actually heard that it's like really common for trans folk to have BPD, um, which BPD isn't really like an it isn't a mental issue like borderline personality disorder. It's just a collection of issues that they call call something. And they just like, they're like, oh, this pattern of a collection of issues tends to be frequent enough to give it a name. Um, but yeah, it's like, who would have thought a bunch of trans people would have BPD? Because people that have BPD are, it's created from massive amounts of trauma, <laughs> trauma and repression, basically. Um, so there's a lot of like environmental situations there, um, you know, and yeah, it's like also, yeah, being trans and like, obviously there's different intersectionalities of like privilege and how you experience things as a trans person. Right. Like, um, like it's, it's the hardest out there in terms of gender for trans women. Like, especially if you're straight, if you're a straight trans woman, like fuck. And you're like, dealing with and you're not like very t for t like it's hard you know and then especially then you put race on top of that like yeah like i'm white so it's like not like if like it's way it's a way different scene for being black indigenous um asian american asian 
Yeah, so it's like, obviously, deal on top of that. It can be very stressful. It can be very stressful on top of just, like, changing your body hormonally. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. You know, so I I shouldn't say all cis guys. You know, know, a a lot of cis guys like to... uh, to to rag on on trans women and and well, that's a polite way of saying it. Yes, yes, and and just you know say hor- horrible things to to trans women, but you know, the, the trans porn is also extremely extremely popular. It's like these same guys that are saying, "Well, you're fake. You're not a real woman." Will be watching trans porn because that's what they're attracted to, and and it's I, I just don't get what's what's going on in their brains. All right, so this is my area of study. So oh, oh, lay it on me. Um, okay, so a lot of my current practice and work and research and experience has all kind of spawned from this initial idea that the vast majority of cis people and trans people that think that they're cis first experience trans femme and trans women bodies through pornography. So... I am obviously not anti-pornography, but what I what I don't think that is okay is that pornography should never really operate as a tool for sex education. Like it shouldn't be the primary one, and it sh- definitely should not be a a a educational device for an entire identity group. So we're talking about an entire population, um, especially like baby boomers, Gen Xers, and partial millennials are all experiencing the they, they their only exposures to trans women has been through pornography sex workers in terms of like in-person escort work or their jokes psycho killers or dead prostitutes in movies so that's 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 the vast majority of uh, people's experience. Now, this is a very much changed in the last 20 years. Actually, this is very much changed in the last 10 years, um, like immensely. So what's happening now is that we're having a social kind of clash between this decision of like, or not decision, but it, it, this clash between this conditioning of a giant population showing people like me as nymphomaniac freaks slash deviants slash predators and tricksters to realizing that we are three-dimensional human beings. We are all very different. And one thing that's kind of putting this clash into the forefront is that more and more we're seeing Gen Zers transition at earlier ages. So, you know, you can't, you know, it, it was easy for transphobic bigots to, to say to a late in life transitioning trans woman that they're the predator, that they're the bad person, right? Like, uh, you know, they're the, they're the wolf in sheep's clothing or, you know, whatever. But it's very difficult to say that to your 14-year-old trans daughter. So there's all these kids, and this is, you know, we're seeing this with, with, with sports, and we're seeing with this a lot around the conversation, and it always starts with the same thing, protect the children, right? And it's always like the trans mania has captured my daughter or son and is making them get mastectomies and taking hormones and chopping off their bits and whatever. Um, But yeah, so there's all this. Now back to pornography. The most amazing thing I've been seeing lately, and again, I want to reiterate that I am a sex worker as well. Um, This is actually, my primary job is more that. (laughs) Don't tell my teaching gig that. But like, (laughs) it's like, I love to say that too. I'm like, oh, I love to say that like I'm moonlighting as a professor and my actual (laughs) primary job is I'm a sex worker. And it's really true. Because like, I... And I also just, I have better community support from the people in my life. I love my job. Um, it's a job. Sometimes there's bad days. Sometimes there's good days. But one thing that I've always really found, I, I mainly work and I'm aspiring apprenticeship, by the way, as a pro dom. I don't, that's my area. So I'm not as much online as most young trans girls that work. 
do erotic labor. They mostly, a lot of them do it online, which they're making all the money. And hey, it's awesome. When I'm seeing 18 year olds buying condos in cities. Like, yeah, all right, get it. Um, but so one thing that's been really interesting is about language. So for the longest time, and oh, before I get into that, may I ask, can I, for, for educational purposes, may I use slur words or curse on this? You can, just don't use the N word. That's one word that I don't, uh, oh, of course. That I don't I ever want, ever want spoken on this show. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, great. I just wanted, I, I should have asked that at the beginning because, like, I'm a foul mouth person, but I'm also like. So, the words, you know, like tranny, she male, these have, like, for the longest time, this is just how people thought trans women and trans femme people were referred as. Like, they didn't even think of it as a. Sh it, it was so ingrained in the population and how it wasn't even thought of as a slur. But obviously, they are slurs. And again, this is because most people's exposure to trans bodies or trans femme and trans women bodies. And it's starting to change for trans men and trans mass people, but it's still taking time. Um, is, you know, on our search engine, tranny gives blowjob or whatever, right? She mail, blah, 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 blah. But now because of independent forms of sex work and pornography, um, a lot of trans women, trans femme are actually creating autonomy and authority for themselves in their webcam spaces. They're saying, if you use those words, I will kick you out. This is my space now. This is not the porn industry space that dictates how we look. I dictate how I look. I dictate my sexuality and I dictate how I use my erotic labor to create my own life. So we're seeing more of this, you know, and we're not, and this isn't just in the trans community, by the way, this is just in general within that whole industry. But for trans people, it's a big deal because again, the vast majority of people experience us first through there. So thanks to these forms of like OnlyFans and webcaming, where you can kind of come into the person's life to some extent, right? You can see kind of their home. You can kind of get to know them because you're a fan, you subscribe to their their stream of content. So trans people are starting to be seen a lot more in this area. The, the one issue though that I do kind of have is that it's still only within sexual contexts. And there's always an assumption that when you're seen out in public, I've had so many men, this was before I became, became a sex worker, approach me trying to buy ser my services um, thinking that I was a sex worker when I was not because I was a trans woman. Now, I disagree with that. I don't, like, there's, if, not every trans woman is a sex worker, but to, and to assume that is, a, is degrading onto trans women because, not because doing sex work or pornography is degrading, but it's degrading because they think it's degrading. They think we're easily usable and cast castable or what castable um to cast aside right do you um do you think that that's part of what triggers that aggression in some cis men too is they're only thinking of trans women in a sexual way and when it doesn't go that way they they turn right to anger so the anger part happens a lot just through couple of different areas. I mean, one, they're contending with their notion of, of, of gender, of body parts, right? They've been told their whole life sucking a dick is gay, right? And they don't feel gay because if they're being with a trans woman, they're not gay. I mean, they're not. I mean, queer, like, sure. But when I say queer, I don't, I don't necessarily mean that in a sexuality way. Um, I, I think of queerness as something a little bit different, but... Um, so they're contending with that they're, you know it, it's a lot of homophobia it's a lot of internalized homophobia too because then their friends go oh you're with that trans woman you're like you're gay you're gay and then you know and mock mock the guy and whatever and then he gets upset and then he beats and kills his girlfriend that he knows is trans and then he'll say then he'll say in court using the trans panic defense which if and any of the listeners don't know is uh, basically a, it's not an, a technically full legal thing on the books, but um, 
when a cis man, usually a cis man, murders a trans woman, he'll say to the judge, your honor, I didn't know that this woman was actually a man or a trans woman. Um, and I killed her out of a fit of rage. And like nine times out of 10, the judge will be like, yeah, that makes sense. And then part, and like, let the guy go or reduce his sentence like a lot. Um, so yeah, this, this is what happens. Um, and it is, yeah, it's very unfortunate. Right now, there's a big conversation around this. Um, and we're seeing this things on like TikTok and social media platforms where the stupid thing that came out like a little bit ago called Super Straight, where... Oh, I wanted si to talk to you about that too. Perfect. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Super Straight, I guess. <laughs> I hate giving them attention, but it just needs to be talked about, at least within our perspective more, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, let's... Where should we start? Well, you know, I just, it's funny enough, I only first saw it start popping up uh, maybe a week or so ago when some of my trans friends on Twitter were starting to post about it. And I was like, what the hell is this? I mean, and they, they have their own little flag and, and everything. <laughs> and so my understanding, and, and hopefully you can correct me if I've got this wrong, someone that's super straight is someone that... Uh, will only sleep with other cis people of the opposite sex. Is is that about the the gist of it? Uh they're actually it's funny because we um I've seen a lot of them describe it that way, but then we call them out and we're like, well, technically trans men are the opposite sex. <laughs> uh, so that never that argument never works for them. What they mean to say is that they only gonna sleep with feminine cis women um it's it's just a weird roundabout to say I don't want to be around a trans woman while at the same time trying to retain the fact that they are quote unquote not transphobic because they're because all it comes from is that they created it because they were they were upset that we were calling them transphobic for being transphobic <laughs> so and you know it's the same bullshit that like that neo-nazi well okay oh yeah by the way i want to say the super straight thing came from 4chan which actually did uh, come from a neo-nazi thing i just yeah. want to real quick say that uh the ss super straight yeah uh, by the way just 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 throwing that out there but it's the same 4chan. thing you know this is the same nonsense we we see with white people getting upset about being called racist um they'll they'll start cre they'll start creating some weird roundabout way to make them say that like oh i'm not racist i just have questions or oh i'm not like sexist i just think this you know it's it's the it's a weird way of softening bigotry and this country is really good at it we are like, pros we are pros we, at that here we are so good at softening oppression um because we are, we are a colonial imperial country that has been that was built through the hands of enslaved black people, Chinese uh, immigrants, and basically anyone it could, <laughs> but especially for black people. Like this country has been, and then has the audacity to say that all lives matter. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways. Um. Where was I going with all that? Uh, super straight. Softening of bigotry. So, um, yeah, it's a ridiculous thing. It's it's always a dumb argument um, because it goes it always goes this way. And I've argued this. I, so I spent a lot of my time on social media talking about attraction to trans women because at the heart of the at the heart of this whole thing, a people's aversion to trans people is about attraction, or at least especially cis men. It's a, it's a conflict of multiple forms of attraction going on in cis men. It's the attraction to femininity, to the power of femininity. And it gets highlighted when they see people that are AMAB, a male assigned at birth, transition into femininity because it highlights the power of it. And cis men get upset with that. There's also the homophobic things of them feeling like, oh, well, if you're attracted to a person that has a certain body part, then that dictates my attraction to a specific gender. Um, 
Which really, yeah, the argue- you're you're missing out on a lot if if you've got to put those walls <laughs> up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's very narrow thinking, and <laughs> it's so easy to put it out there because again, the argument you can you can back them in a corner so easy, and I've done it a thousand times, and it's it doesn't do anything, but it's kind of fun sometimes, but it's also dangerous. So, hey, viewers, if you decide to back a cis man into a corner about. Um, or listeners, sorry, I guess you're not viewing. Listeners, uh, if you decide to back a cis man into a corner in terms of arguing about sleeping with a trans woman, he's going to lash out probably, most likely. So just be careful. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that all cis men are violent, but there's definitely... <laughs> yeah, well... It can I, happen. I, I think that we are we, we would all do well to be careful with uh, cis white men, uh, you know, yeah. especially if you're having an argument and please just keep it online. Don't do it in person because, yeah, it can it could get nasty. I mean, um, even online, I, like I'm waiting for someone to dox me to uh, come for me. Yeah. Like I, I'm just waiting at this point. Um, yeah, cis white men um, are pretty scary in this country right now with yeah. white terrorism and among many other things. So, yeah, well, and I, I, I wanted to real quick uh, be, before I forget, because I keep glancing at my little note here. Um, circle back to to something, and we can move on. Uh, you would you had talked about uh, you know these indie indie porn creators, um, really, and it's it's such an important point because I, I think you know because I watch porn. I think most most people watch porn, and some of, some of my favorite creators are um, this lesbian couple. One of them's a, a trans woman, and they make amazing content, but it's so different than anything that you find on Pornhub or X videos or anything like that. It's like, cause yeah. you can, you know, it's, it's caring. It's not just, <laughs> it's not just fucking, you know, it, and it's, it's so different. I'm like, wow, just with this, just with these videos, it changes a little bit of the narrative that, that we're uh-huh. used to seeing in porn. And, and I agree with you that that's, that should not be your only, your only introduction or only exposure to, to trans people at all. Um, but I do think it, it's really cool that these indie creators be, can really write write the narratives themselves. Yeah. So again, my decision. Well, okay. First, my decision to sex work was originally to survive. Like, let me be very clear. I I did it because I needed to survive. But then it became a thing where you know I've always I'm always been an educator. I'm an academic. I I am an artist. I like I work in these areas. So I realized I'm going to bring the fight to them to ground zero and where's ground zero for the fetishization of trans women and the problem of objectification pornography. So why not go there and use that platform as a way to, to say some things, to change the narrative. And it is happening. It's like lots of, it's, it's happening in so many ways and seeing these platforms being made that are like queer porn for queers. It's great. It's, it's, it is porn that is actually made not for the male gaze. Cause even if you look at like, I don't know, like if you go to Pornhub and you like, look at like lesbian porn, it's not lesbian porn. It's, it's, it's two women fucking each other for the male gaze. It's not lesbian porn. So, it is great to see these independent companies and these single, you know, independent business owners like doing their OnlyFans and doing this whole setup. You know, I see so many OnlyFans of like trans folk like as couples, like whether T for T or they're like a trans woman with a cis man or a cis woman with a trans woman or whatever, right? You know, and it's they're 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 couples and they're in love with each other. They're performing for the camera, obviously. It's their job. But even the knowledge of that can have so much weight and, and beauty for uh it does. For both it, parties. It, it, it like really for, does. <laughs> for the creators and for the viewers. Um and it's and it's it, this is important. I mean, sex education in this country is is non-existent basically i mean it's it's incredibly bad and i'm not just talking about like you know put a condom on i'm talking about consent communication like understanding your partner's bodies and how to like 
move towards that. Like I've had sex with a lot of cis men uh, and they just, so many of them just don't know what they're doing. Uh, to be fair, most, most cis people, cis women too, don't know what they're doing with, with trans women bodies, but um, which has been a thing I've actually been wanting to do. I've been, I've been thinking of using my sex worker platform actually as a, as a, to do like sex education on how to like how to fuck a trans woman. <laughs> oh my god, you could you could do it. It'd be just it would be like the the old uh, the graphic novel, the fucking trans women. Right? No, that's that's where I got the idea. I that was like I was like reading I was reading through the zine and I was like, "Oh yeah, muffins a thing." I forgot about that. <laughs> and like I was like, "Yeah, you know, um I really should should take this and like bring this back to like resurrect this this approach cuz it's like I mean, there's so much like, there's so much like imagery and depiction of trans women having sex. But again, I feel like a lot of it is like, one, like what looks good for the camera doesn't always yeah. feel good. Yeah. Like, let me let me be clear about that. Mm-hmm. Like, the things that look really sexy um, don't tend to always be the best like position or whatever. So mm-hmm. it'd be really nice to just have some like real sex education around trans bodies um and i just <laughs> and, don't and, feel like there's very much of it in 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 general i mean you know trans bodies cis bodies whatever i think that we're never really taught or exposed to have good sex or have sex that feels good to us you know we've we've seen porn we've had our our crappy sex education classes so we we know basically how it works but I think a lot of us don't know how to make it feel good and, and how to accept that, hey, it's okay for me to want it to feel good. That, and that's something you could work on. Right. And like sex isn't just penetrative, right? Like sex can be many different things. Sex can be with different toys. Sex can be sex can be all kinds of different formats of, of exploring with one another. It's okay to communicate. It's okay to make like to have funny, awkward moments. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to like, you know, it's, again, the vast majority of people's sex education has become pornography. And this is why we have cis men acting the way they do in terms of sex, sexual pursuit, and so forth. I mean, even the fact that I just said the word sexual pursuit, literally my mind went straight to rape culture, which that's that's, that's telling. That's telling of the condition we're in with sex education as a country, as a world, honestly. Um, but like, well, and as someone yeah. who, as, as a sex worker, you know, you, you, I, I, I just, I, you know, I imagine sex work and I, and I know this probably isn't right as these gurus who know all and see all and can <laughs> tell us all, but you know, it, one thing you mentioned be, before we started recording was, uh, <laughs> was a uh, forms of, of intimacy and kind of maybe how that, uh, intersects with, uh, with sex work and you know do you do you find that that's that intimacy is is an issue or is something that has to be worked at a certain way when you're doing sex work or how does that all work for you yeah i mean intimacy is the main it's it's the main thing of it i mean so i do i do kind of what people would call girlfriend experience which is basically in call full service um it's like less about kinks um then whereas like pro dom would be a lot more exploration in terms of kinks and, and different fetishes and so forth. Um, so I do get a lot of girlfriend experience clients and you know, yeah, they, they want intimacy and they want intimacy with a trans woman. They want it to see with a trans woman like me, you know, I'm an artist. I have tattoos. I like, you know, I'm very like the intellectual bohemian kind of like person to them. Right. And um, also, I will say, I would probably say at like at least a third of my clients are in the closet trans women. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's I'm not, very. I'm real. not that surprised. I'm not that surprised. Well, like, let's think about it. I mean, for a lot of like, you know, it can be really difficult if you're in a very hetero cis hetero uh, like marriage. You have kids. You're like forty. No, I mean forty. I would say more of my clients are usually about fifty or sixty. Are you trying to describe me? Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> because <laughs> well, you no, are. A of, like a lot of clients are usually tend to be like like I would say most of my clients are usually from like forty and onward because usually that's the point that they have like careers to afford my services. 
Um, but like, they get to that point where they have career, they have all these things, and they feel that they can't transition because their life has become so solidified. So they hire me to do two things. They, to, to, to be, to be with me within an intimate form, but also to have a, like, vicariously kind of transmit themselves into me, which is really interesting. It's a very lot of these questions about embodiment and disembodiment that happen there that I think are something worth kind of ruminating on a little bit more. Interesting. But yeah, so this, you know, it is really scary. You know, I've heard plenty of stories of, um, you know, uh, trans women, you know, their wife left them, took the kids, et cetera. You know, it, it, I'm sure it's incredibly scary, especially when your life is solidified. I transitioned when I was 28. I didn't, I'm, I got the transition in art school. I mean, how much safer could I be? <laughs> Although I will say the art world is a lot more conservative than people think. And there's a ton of transphobia in the art world. So let's just remember that it's not a safe place. <laughs> Always. Um but yeah, so, you know, I have a lot of clients like this. You know, I, I have a lot of young, the younger clients I have that are in their, like, 20s. or Well, I don't really have many clients that are in their 20s, but usually, like, 30s. Um, are so different. And it's 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 interesting. It's it's just, like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, like, um... It's less fetishy. I just feel like they're they're they just hired me not because I'm like you know a chick with a dick or whatever. It's like they just hired me because they thought I was hot and interesting, which is nice because I do get a lot of the older clients tend to like hire me because they are like obsessed with you know my genitalia or whatever. Which is hey, you know it's it's the job, it's fine, but it's eh. <laughs> It's not that interesting to me. I'm just like, I'm like, oh my God, you're making this big deal out of this thing. And it's like, it's not all that great. I mean, it's like, it's fine, <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, you know, and I, yeah. So I use my platform. I do, I do talk to all my clients. I teach them things. Um, there's a really cool sex worker here in Chicago that I really appreciate. Um, she's a black queer, um, gender nonconforming sex worker. And they, uh, they use their platform to, as a pro dom to, uh, have their, their subs, their submissive clients, um, read black queer feminism as the part of the practice. So they like, they're like, oh, okay, for next session, I want you to read this book and then, you know, write me a paragraph. So they like force them to, to do this, like to educate themselves about blackness. Wait, and, wait, wait, and... wait. I, I just, I, is this someone you know personally? Yes. This is someone that I would love it if you could find a way to connect me with, because this might be one of the greatest people on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's 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 genius. Well, their name is Mistress V. You can find them. I mean, there's plenty of articles about them and stuff. Um, but yeah, so they they have this approach of using this to to create a platform to educate people that normally would not. I mean, we're talking about old rich white guys, right? They would never read black queer feminism. So I use that to educate some of my clients around the realities of transness when I can. Um, and I want to continue that actually. And the more that I work in like more pro-dom situations, which I, I does kind of provide me more of a sense of authority and I can kind of dictate how things go in a more non-traditional sexual way. Um, I do want to start kind of pushing that even more. Um, so, you know, yeah. So this whole, my world is very much wrapped around intimacy, around sexuality, around this. And um, my sex working life, you know, makes me the good, the money that I need to make my art. I mean, I'm an artist first and foremost before anything else. But, you know, like many trans women, I would have never gotten this far without sex work. Um, which, again, I, it's a weird feeling. Like sex work for me was a good, it was a very positive thing for me. Because at a time when I felt that my body was ugly, that I, I, I had a hard time feeling okay with myself, 
but then I would get on on a web, you know, Chatterbait or you know one of the webcam sites, and then I'd have a ton of men being like, "You're a goddess. You're a goddess. You're so beautiful." I mean, that's nice. It feels good. You know, it's fake, but it's like it, it does feel good. Um, that was helpful. But then for a lot of other people, like you know, I again was privileged in that that I had that access, but you know. I've had friends that were survival sex workers and were working for $50 a person, which is dismal. Um, that's, that's enough money to like eat basically. Um, yeah. So it is, it is an interesting world that has kind of continued there. I, you know, a lot of trans women, a lot of trans people like, especially older ones I've noticed tend to try to push, push back on the conversation around pornography and sex work with, with trans bodies because they're kind of sick and tired of it. They're sick and tired of hearing about it and they don't want to be associated with it because we've always been associated with it. And I understand that, but I also kind of, I'm a very much like kind of a third wave feminism approach to this and where I'm like, Oh, let's, let's like have sex positivity and sex worker positivity and reclaim that platform reclaim that landscape and make it ours and we're seeing that and again this is what's pissing off a lot of cis men because <laughs> like they 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 like the idea of of trans women like a lot of cis men love the idea of trans women because they think that we're like these kind of submissive um desperate broken things but we're not we're powerful we're beautiful we're incredible and they're seeing that you know, we're seeing celebrities and musicians and artists and people coming forward. And I I do want to stop real quick and just say that this whole time I've been talking about trans femme and trans women bodies. And I just want to, like, point out that, like, I'm talking about that because I'm experienced that myself. And because within pornography and that there's more of a priority to talk about that. But there's a lot of interesting conversations around non-binary, trans mask, and trans men experiences in these spaces, too. Um, and it's worth always kind of looking to that. I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, I know, right? Like, what? It was interesting to see Elliot Page, like, come out and that that whole setup. That's not obviously with around pornography or anything but it was just interesting no and i i think you're there are a lot more um trans women that are um that are known or in the public eye uh than trans men and and even on this show um even though i i try reaching out to more and more trans men it's um it's more difficult to get trans men on for me than trans women and and i'm not quite sure exactly why but you know it, I, I figure whoever's comfortable coming on to share their stories i'm i'm super happy to have them but but yeah it's uh there are you know there yeah. there's a lot more that there's a lot more conversations that need to be had with trans men i, I think they definitely don't have the representation that they need yeah so it's a tricky thing because in terms of like prioritizing the most the people with the most precarious situations like trans women still need a lot of support especially black trans women need a lot of support you know that's the priority in terms of like intersectionally looking at the trans umbrella like hands down that being said um trans men do need to have a lot there needs to be a lot more conversation and a lot more support there i think I've talked to a few trans men about this and uh, a lot what I've heard is usually like they're, they feel that because they are transitioning in, you know, and they are men, they don't want to kind of repeat the problematics of cis men in any way. So they're always, there's a, like a, this question about taking up space. They don't want to take up too much space, which is a, a combination of two different areas, right? It's like that they don't want to take up space because they've always known cis men to be quick to take up space. And they also were taught to, like they were conditioned it earlier in their life before transitioning to never take up space because that's how people that are perceived as women at first are taught right and that's the same thing with trans women so trans women are like but it's kind of a weird flip side so we we were taught before transitioning to take up space 
or it was insinuated because we were perceived as men. But then when we start transitioning, we try not to take up too much space because we don't want to be perceived as men. We don't want to be perceived as we're continuing, quote unquote, male privilege, right, in this sense. And we're also, we're taught that to be a woman is to be small, is to be submissive, is, is, is not to push back. Um, and obviously these things are incorrect. And um, so it's really interesting to see both sides trying to like, kind of work through how do they have their voices heard, support each other, and not let trans people are not satellites to the orbit of cis people. Gay and queer people are not satellites to the orbit of straight people. You know, black, indigenous, and POC people are not satellites to white people, right? So it's like, how do we break that that notion of 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 working within the parameters that were set by the like status quo, like the people that benefit from this whole system that is problematic for us, right? I feel like I'm rambling. I don't know all this. <laughs> no, you're you're good. No, I I was just I was really interested. So I just wanted to to let you keep going, but. But yeah, I, I, told you, I told you I will talk. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, it's it's usually me that ends up rambling, so I'm glad it's not me today. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we are kind of at about the end of our episode. Is there anything you want to say before we go? Did I give a personal story? Wait, did I? Did we do personal? I don't know. We kind of jumped right into things. Tell me, tell me some. I feel like I feel like everything was so personal huh? already yeah, for I, me. I I kind of think that <laughs> it was very personal. We talked about real is. issues, kind of intertwined with personal stuff. I thought I think it was good. Yeah, I um, I'll I'll tell I'll, I'll say this I'll, I'll say this because I think this kind of maybe embodies the conversation around pornography and men and 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 my art practice. So. When working on this project, um, which I call all he ever wanted, because in the rest of the part of that sentence is all he ever wanted was to fuck a tranny, which is about my old boy self that I brought back. And I had sex with him in a performance. I, and while I was having sex with him, I broke him into pieces um, nice. and then reassembled him um, because he was made of plastics. And... I uh, I think a lot about this every time I have I not so much anymore, but it used to be um, when I would be with some of these clients and be with men. I realized that it wasn't so much about my attraction to men, although I am partly attracted. But what I was getting out of it wasn't just the monetary component. I was. I was reconnecting through a cathartic means to my old boy self, like a painful, sad, lonely, drunken, drug-addled, depressed human being. And so every time I had sex with a guy, I was having sex with him, my old self, because he was such a lost little boy and he really, really spent so many nights clicking, clicking, clicking away, looking at trans porn, his mind just batting from back and forth from embodying the trans woman to being fucked or fucking the trans woman. And it was both. And in that moment, I realized that I wanted to create, recreate him and I did. And when I had sex with him in the performance, it was this beautiful osmosis between these kind of past, future, present situations where I was embodying him and I was having sex with him. And he was embodying me and he was having sex with me. So I think that approach is deeply at the heart of a lot of issues around attraction and sexuality and the relationship between cis people and trans people and trans people among themselves too, by the way. So take that thought with you. There's not a complete answer to it, by the way. Um, it's just something to reminate on. Man, artists. I love them. 
artists are the best you 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 provide us with such enrich enrichment but you always always kind of make our brains work too and and i like that a lot um well do you do you have any links or a link tree or anything like that that you want people to check out yeah um well you can go to my website uh which is wanbli w-a-n-b-l-i Gamash, G-A-M-A-C-H-E dot com. That's where my website is. I'm actually working on it right now. So I need to fix a couple things. but um, So there's some images and a little bit about my practice there. Um, you can go to my Instagram, which is uh, at Ava, A-V-A underscore uh, Wanbly, W-A-N-B-L-I. And you can see a lot more images and stuff on my Instagram. Um, that's really about it. Um, okay, awesome. We'll yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm gonna put those right in the uh, in the episode show notes. That way, people can just click on a link and get there easily. But uh, but it's really been cool. great talking to you, Wombly. Yeah, it's been a nice a nice way to start my morning. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much to Rebecca Jonesy for sponsoring the show. You are amazing. I love you. And uh, to everyone out there, until next time, stay safe and stay strong. <laughs>